And so we, we're gathering now for our time in the Word. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. That's where we're going to be at today. And actually, we are starting a new series on the parable of Jesus the par- called Stories of the Kingdom. And so many of you are familiar with parables. It's a very popular teaching tool of Jesus. We find a lot of them, especially in what we call the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Luke has a lot of them, especially. Uh, but they are something that uh, a teaching tool that Jesus used quite often, especially in mixed crowds. And so we're going to be taking the summer and going through a series of these. And it's also an opportunity for you to hear from some other people in the church who will be preaching. And so let's, so I'm going to do the first part of this, just kind of introducing our series and talking about what a parable is, and so we don't have to keep running over this every week. So what is a parable? Well, and simply put, it is a story, a short story used as a teaching tool. Kyle Snodgrass, an author, says there, there are stories with intent. Sometimes they're longer, you know, they, they can make it a longer in-depth story with lots of points to it. Sometimes they're like one sentence long. Right? But these stories are unique because Jesus isn't just like, hey guys, I heard this story the other day. No, they are stories with intent, so they're metaphorical. The characters, the situations are all representative of something else. Representing some, their analogy drawn from everyday life that describes or explains a greater truth. A spiritual reality of some sort. They're similar to allegories, though allegories are really more drawn out. The characters, objects, situations are representative and you've seen these in, in probably books you've read or at least heard about, right? Consider um, the Chronicles of Narnia, right? C.S. Lewis wrote this, where the characters are representative. I'm, spoiler alert, Aslan is Jesus, okay? They're, sorry for those of you who haven't read it yet. Or the Pilgrim's Progress, which is a large allegory describing the journey of a Christian throughout this life and all the hardships and temptations we face. Or, I mean, George Orwell's book Animal Farm, which is a political allegory against totalitarianism. Sorry, I had to get that right. So we see this a lot in allegories, right? However, parables are a little different than allegories because allegories are usually more complex and layered, and there's usually many different meanings, and you can read meaning into several different points, right? But parables are a lot simpler. Really, there's usually like one point, okay, one main thing uh, that we're trying to be, that's trying to be communicated. And so we should be careful when we're reading these not to over-interpret them or not to allegorize them where every single thing has a secret hidden meaning because that's not really the way the parables are put together, right? And so that way we don't get bogged down and, and try to find meaning where really none is intended. Parables are drawn from everyday life, right? They're simple observations, especially during, I mean, during the time they were, they were spoken or taught. They're just normal everyday stories. It, it, it's as though I would start a story saying, there was a woman who was in the grocery store, and her child, her young child who was in the grocery cart, started pulling objects off the shelf and depositing them in the cart without the mother knowing, Right? That's just a story that maybe some of you have like, that's actually a true story for you, something that's actually happened. Or maybe you've never seen that before, but you can imagine that happening, right? It's, it's like a common everyday occurrence that may not actually be referring to a specific historical situation. It's just an analogy from everyday life that may have happened or could happen or, you know, it's just we could understand that it's a possible thing. So these are stories, you know, it doesn't require, I mean, Jesus may have just made up these stories for the sake of teaching. It's not necessary that the parable itself uh, is a historical specific occurrence, right? Sometimes it's just a general observation from life told to make a point. So how do parables work? Well, parables, uh, the word, the Greek word is parabole, has the idea of laying something out for juxtaposition, comparing and contrasting. So usually what a parable is doing is laying out several different things, maybe two things or three or four, and showing the differences between them. So for example, the story of the Good Samaritan, which was one of the parables we'll talk about. If you remember the story, there's a man who goes on a journey and thieves seize him and beat him up and steal from him and leave him broken on the road. And three separate men come walk by and have different responses to him, right? 
And the parable there is talking about which one of these three men was a neighbor to this man. Right? So there's, there's laying out three options and comparing them. The prodigal son, right? There's two sons who are both ungrateful, really, but they respond to their, their father and his generosity in different ways. One leaves foolishly and one stays, but he's comparing those. The four soils, which we'll talk about today. The wheat and the weeds, right? Believers and unbelievers who grow up together in the world. The mustard seed, sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a difference of how things begin and how they end. Uh, how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is a really, really tiny seed. How it starts small, but it ends with a very big plant. And we could go on and on about the wedding feast. Those who were invited but didn't come, and those who were not invited initially but came afterwards. And so on and so forth. So parables are comparing and contrasting things, laying them out. And that's really the main point for us. Jesus used parables to tell us about the kingdom of God. That was his main point. He wasn't telling them just to tell, like, it wasn't like Aesop's fables, which are still good, largely, but it's not just he's, he's teaching moral teaching in general. All of his parables really have the same theme, the same thing he's trying to talk about, which is the kingdom of God, how to enter the kingdom of God. So those are very evangelistic or gospel-centered um, parables. Sometimes he talks about why people don't enter the kingdom. Or sometimes he tells parables to talk about how beautiful and valuable the kingdom of God is. Or how to live as people who belong to the kingdom of God. Or, or how the kingdom is going to grow and expand throughout history. But no matter what, all of his parables are teaching us about the kingdom of God. And, and what do we mean by the, the kingdom? Well, we should know that Jesus came preaching the good news... And it says in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark that he came saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that is the good news. He's, Jesus came and his whole teaching ministry was about this thing called the kingdom of God, which had finally come. This is all before Jesus had gone to the cross, before the resurrection. This was what his ministry was about. See, Jesus is the king. He is God's chosen king to rule. And those who trusted him would find entrance into something called God's kingdom. Both in this age, both like right now in the world, like God's kingdom is partially present here now, but it's going to be fully here now in the age to come. And this was like pictured in the Old Testament, right? God chose a people, Israel, and he made them a nation. He gave them a law and he gave them, uh, uh, he gave them ways to worship. And they were his unique people out of all the world that belonged to him. He taught them. He was their God. They were his people. And all that God did with them was a picture of what God was going to do in this kingdom when Jesus finally came. Even David, even the kings of that time were a picture of what would it be like when Jesus came. So when Jesus came, he said, hey, the kingdom of God is here now, but it's maybe a little different than you imagined. They, the, the Jewish leaders at the time were expecting that it would be very much like a national kingdom, that someone like David would come back and that he would overthrow the Roman government and like it, it would just be a very much a earthly style of kingdom, what they were anticipating. And Jesus is kind of correcting what they were getting wrong. They were expecting something different. So Jesus, though, is saying, hey, anybody, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. If you have faith, if you trust in the king, I will give you your kingdom admittance, right? You will belong to, the, to God's rule right now. He will be your God, and you will be his people, and he will train you, and he, he will give you a seat at the table, and you will belong to his people, which isn't made up of just one ethnic group, but every tribe, tongue, and nation right here and now. Even though it's an invisible kingdom and he's ruling over our hearts, he will someday rule over all and you'll be part of that. So parables, Jesus taught, especially in large groups, when there was a mixed crowd, right? And, and parables, honestly, if you read them, sometimes they're kind of hard to understand. Like, the, the, it's not immediately evident. In fact, only a few of them, including the one we'll talk about today, actually tell you what Jesus is talking about, where he actually explains, this is what it means, this represents this, this represents this, almost always, he doesn't tell us. And so there's a lot of people who could, they are, you could come to this and say, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about. They're not exactly user-friendly in that regard. Many in Jesus' day didn't understand what his parables meant. His disciples didn't even understand all the time. 
And some of, some people left actually confused and frustrated because they're like, Jesus, can you just tell us what you mean? Why are you talking in parables? So why did Jesus choose to teach this way? If you look in Matthew chapter 13, uh, our, our text today is going to be uh, verses 1 through 23, but uh, I'm actually going to start right in the middle because this kind of fits with where we're at right now, starting in verse 10. Because in, 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 in our text, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and then, his, then he goes and talks to his disciples in this middle section about why he's teaching in parables and what they're for. And then he explains to them what he means. And so I'm going to do the, the first and third section in a minute. But let's hit that middle section, if you'll read with me, starting in verse 10. It says, Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? That is, that is the crowds that gathered to listen to him. And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to hear what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus gives an answer to his disciples who asked him, Jesus, why, why are you speaking in parables? Why don't you just say plainly what you're talking about, right? And contrary to popular belief, parables are not designed to make spiritual truths necessarily easier to understand. Parables are a truth that is veiled. They're there for a specific reason. They have different effects on different people, depending on who is hearing them. Now, they can be very, very helpful to believers because Jesus is not trying to be esoteric. And, you know, sometimes you read books by so-called spiritual people who say things that really mean nothing, like the mongoose seizes at dawn. And you're like, that means nothing. But they sell millions of dollars of worth of books, and Oprah puts them on her show, right? But they don't mean anything, right? They're just hidden language, right? Jesus is not trying to sound, you know, really intelligent and smart by saying nonsense, right? They are helpful to believers. They, they actually encourage us. They do, in fact, teach us about the kingdom of God. But by telling, the, by telling these parables, there are people... Who, who are very critical of Jesus, or their hearts are closed, or they're like what Jesus described here. Their, their ears are dull, their hearts are closed, their eyes are blinded, and they just get frustrated by it. But what is Jesus doing? And I, I put it this way, but by telling parables to crowds of you know, people who are disciples and not disciples, he's leaving breadcrumbs. He's saying, there's a truth here, and I want you to understand it. I want you to hear it, right? And if you follow this, it will, it will lead you to faith. So, and some will. Some will hear that and say, I have no idea what he's talking about. Whatever. I'm done. But there are others who will hear and say, there's something there. And I don't fully understand what it is, but I want to hear more. And that's what Jesus is really seeking after. He's desiring that we would hear and believe. But others who don't have a heart that are ready, it kind of weeds them out a bit. The crowds hear the story, some, they take it no further, they're confused, they're bored, they're frustrated, and since they are committed to Jesus, they don't seek further understanding, they don't, they don't want to hear anymore. And these parables then, affect, in effect, serve, as, as, as Jesus says here, and in effect serves to condemn you, it's like, it was right there, it was right there for the taking, if you would have just shown a little initiative and walked towards it and grabbed it. But the fact that you didn't even want it serves to condemn but the disciples who seek understanding, you know, who seek the, the, the secrets of the kingdom, Jesus explains this meaning to his disciples. They understand and they're blessed in hearing it. 
So, so why don't the crowds understand? We're not going to talk a lot about, about this, but Jesus really says there, there there's, some, there's some level of just human responsibility, right? Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand their hearts have grown dull. Guys, sin corrupts everything about us. It corrupts our minds, it blinds our eyes, it dulls our ears, but it, one of the things we'll talk about a lot today is it hardens our heart. It puts a spiritual stubbornness in our heart where we become hard and calloused to the things of God. Some of you experience this like on a human level, right? Where like you have a good relationship, but then like over a period of time, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with a friendship or family members where there's been like a fight or a disagreement or or something. And as time passes, your heart becomes more and more hard and there's a coldness and a separation. Have you, any of you experienced that in a marriage or with your children or with your family or friends or a neighbor, there's a wound, there's an offense, and it just creates this breach. And then at some point you're like, I don't even want to be friends anymore. I, I, I'm done. I don't want to heal this anymore. Sin has done that between us and God. Where we don't necessarily want to hear from him anymore. And that's what this is. And one of the great blessings of Scripture is God says that he is able to overcome that. And I love it. In Ezekiel, Jesus says, or the Holy Spirit writes and says that part of the new covenant is is that he will remove that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. right? So that we actually hear and we're like, he removes that stubbornness from us so we can see as we ought to, hear as we ought to, and believe as we ought to. We would do so willingly because we see the goodness, the sweetness of it. But if he doesn't, if God doesn't do that, we'll always remain in that cold, blind state. That's why Jesus said, that's why Jesus says to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. So why parables? To openly reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God to those who believe while veiling it from those who are dull of hearing and spiritually blind. So it it hardens those who are unresponsive, who are only curious but won't believe, but it also draws those to faith who will believe as they seek answers and understanding. So how are we we to read and listen to parables this summer, this morning, and and the rest of this summer? Well, I would encourage you to seek to understand them. Don't just say like, oh, I've heard this before. Don't don't listen with dull ears, as Jesus will say again and again. He who has ears, let him hear. Seek to understand. The parables reveal the nature and growth of God's kingdom on earth, here and now. It's it's wonderful, and it's encouraging, and it's Jesus' main message, so it should be something we perk our ears up to. Seek to understand. Don't be content to be simply a hearer, but seek to believe. And also beware that if you can hear Jesus' words and just kind of brush them aside without any further thought, as many did in Jesus' own day, that it's actually revealing something about your heart. Like it's revealing an unresponsiveness, a coldness to your heart, which should trouble you. Which brings us to the parable that we're going to talk about today. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, people do respond differently it's the gospel, the, the central message of Christianity that God sent his son Jesus to give his life to save sinners. If I could summarize it in three words, the gospel is that God rescues sinners, just like us. But not everybody responds to that message the same way. I, I've, I've, I've taught in youth group and seen all different responses, right? Even here in this room, we'll all respond differently. Why is that, though? Jesus tells a parable at the beginning of his ministry and kind of explains this. And so if you'll turn with me uh, to, to Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. The Word of God says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, but they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. 
Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Let me take a moment and quickly summarize just really what Jesus is talking about here. Right? So first of all, he says, a sower went out to sow. Right? And obviously that's not somebody who sows with needle and thread. Right? It's a way of, it's, it's part of how they uh, put seed in their field at this time. Right? Now, I, I love, you know, seeing all, all, the, all the people who are planting right now. And I love, my kids especially, Ben my, my youngest son, Ben, who's four, loves in the fall when all the tractors come out, right? And, they're, and they start harvesting everything, those big old tractors, then driving up and down the trail. We have all that right now. And they're, they have GPS, right? So they can do it at night, right? And they're air-conditioned, some of them. Like, it's, it's crazy, the technology. In the old day, they had a bag and their seeds and a hand, right? And so they'd walk around with a big bag full of seeds. And, you know, there's different ways of doing it, but... Honestly, it's kind of an inefficient way of planting seeds, especially in a large field. You grab a handful and you throw them, right? That's it. And they kind of land everywhere, right? You're broadcasting the seeds. And many, and the idea is here, right, you're, you're throwing seed out, knowing that most of it is not going to land in a place where it's going to dig into the ground and, and, and germinate and produce a crop. A lot of it is going to go to waste. And you just kind of accept that. So it's not super efficient, right? At the same time, this is the way that you plant it, right? So you're, it's not like in your garden, right? Or in your, you know, your raised beds where like you dig a hole and you plant the seed and you, or put the bulb or I don't, I don't guard, whatever you do. You know, it's not like that, you know, precise, okay? It's, it's, you're broadcasting the seed, and, he, and he's giving four different ways that the seed lands, four different places, right? And, and of course, I mean, there's many people who came from agricultural families during this time. They, this is how they all got their food, okay? They didn't go to Wegmans or Walmart or anything else. This is how they got their food. And so they would have known that, yeah, this is a pretty common ways that we see this happen. First of all, there's some seed falls along the path. Now, this is the walking path, and, right, and you see a picture here. Now, this is like a dirt road that, you know, obviously now carts and, and trucks and tractors and everything else have gone through. You throw a seed on that, it's not penetrating. I mean, that is hard-packed dirt, right? Um, now, you could probably till that up and, and put other stuff in it, but it is hard-packed dirt. That seed is never going to penetrate. It's going to lay right on top of there. And he says that what was common, honestly, what you're basically doing is you're feeding the birds. That's what you're doing. <laughs> Anything that lands on the hard-packed dirt, you know, all the birds, are that's dinner time. They're going to come and swoop down and get that. Then he says that there's rocky ground, okay, that other seeds fell on rocky soil. This, for example, is my yard, okay, which has nothing, which as the rain, and I live on this, this hill, there's one constant never-ending hill from the top of our backyard to our mailbox right and all the water from our neighbors who are also on a hill it just comes down and flows and flows and washes all our wonderful beautiful dirt away and just leaves rocks and so we're starting to get bare patches um but also we have a front garden right and so my wife does a wonderful job planting flowers and everything else but man we have to do like a rock harvest they multiply. Those rocks are fruitful and multiply. I don't know where they come from, um, from the devil, but they're somewhere. But they all, they, but because the ground is so rocky, they take up so much space that they kind of like make it hard for plants to grow, right? Because the soil's not very rich and deep and the roots can't grow, right? So oftentimes if there's no um, complex root system, they can't stand up. The su- It gets hot or it doesn't rain very often and they wither and they don't, they don't, they don't last. It says that some seed falls among thorns, right? So this, this is the idea where, you know, thorns are, you know, part of brambles or weeds. They're, they're, they're they have their own root system, right? They're already in the soil. So it's, it's, it's soil that you can grow something in, but it's already occupied by other plants, Right, and that, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you have that really selfish plant that sucks up all the water, eats up all the nutrients, and all the little weaker plants around it, they don't, they, they're not able to draw the nutrients or water because there's something else. Weeds do that really well, right? But here, thorns quickly kind of, ch- they overcome it, they grow over it, they choke it out. So even though maybe it initially took a little bit, it started to grow a little bit, it's very quickly choked out and doesn't produce. You can't harvest that. And then lastly, of course, he talks about good soil, right? 
So this is, this is, you know, good soil that receives seed. The, the sower would cast it and some of it's gonna go all over the place, but some of it is gonna land in good soil. Some of it is gonna reach into the ground. It's gonna be watered. It's gonna grow and it's gonna produce fruit. It's gonna produce a crop that he's gonna be able to harvest and sell, right? And it's, it's a good thing. This, this is agriculture 101 in, uh, the ancient world. So let's explain this parable. Look at me at verse uh, verse 18. Because this is one of those few parables that Jesus explains. And honestly, Jesus says, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, he says that if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of the others. So this one really sets the tone for all the parables that Jesus is going to talk about. He says, hear then, in verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. I'm thankful that I'm preaching this text because I get the interpretation already Some of the other preachers, they're going to have to do that work themselves, right? But Jesus tells us what this parable is all about. Jesus reveals to us why Jesus, the king who came, who's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it's good news, it should be accepted by all. Why do people respond differently? Why do some people seem to believe early on, but then fall away and don't finish in the faith? Why is that? And really what he's doing is that the force of this, I'll tell you at the very beginning, should force us to examine our hearts and say, of the four different kinds of soil here, what kind of soil am I? How am I responding to this message? So this parable is, how, is about how the gospel is preached to many, but why there are so many different responses. So let's talk about what this all means. Let's talk about all the pieces mean. First of all, let's talk about what this seed is. The seed is, Jesus says, the word of the kingdom. This is the good news that people can enter into God's rule, enter into God's family by faith. That it will, that this kingdom will someday overcome and overshadow all earthly kingdoms until Christ alone reigns. It'll be a kingdom of joy and peace, of righteousness and truth. Right, a kingdom of power and authority, a kingdom of wisdom and goodness, a kingdom that will never end. Right, you know, I, I like being American, but I'm frustrated often being an American. By the way, no matter where you're at politically, in any country, any any government of any different kind, there might be good, but there's also evil and frustration, and things don't work. Right, but Jesus' kingdom is different. It's a kingdom that will reign forever and rule forever, where there is perfect justice, perfect goodness, perfect righteousness, perfect peace, right? And right now you can belong to that by faith, but someday it will be full and on the earth. So the seed that we're talking about here that's being sown is that gospel message, that gospel of the kingdom. That the very king himself has come into this world. He lays his life down to rescue us out of the kingdom of this world, to bring him into his place, his kingdom. And the cool thing is, is this gospel is good news because we're not just, you know, you know, just people who belong somewhere else, a different kingdom. We, we are also people who have, who have rebelled against his kingdom in the first place. Remember that, that separation, that hardness I talked about earlier? I don't want to hear from you, but it's even more, God, I don't want you to rule over me. Yeah, you created me, that's fine, but now I want to live my own way. In fact, I want us to build our own kingdoms here on earth. I, we, we want to do that. And Jesus says, I will rescue you out of this kingdom. I will forgive your rebellion and bring you, not as a slave, as a servant, but but as an honored guest. Not not even an honored guest, an honored citizen, a son or daughter of the kingdom. He'll wash away our past, give us a future, give us hope and life. 
promises to use all his kingly power to bless us and not harm us. He offers us to know him, to have a life of purpose and direction, to set our values, our, our vision, our heart, our thinking all in line with his kingdom, right? This is this gospel seed, the seed of the gospel. And Jesus is the sower in this. Jesus is the king. He's the one sowing the seed. He's the one who sows this good news, this message of forgiveness in life. And one thing I love about this is Jesus is sowing it widely. And I want you to see that our God is generous and good. He's saying, hey, I don't care who you are. I want you to hear this gospel. You are invited to be part of the kingdom. I don't, not, doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your present. Repent and believe. Believe, accept this, and you will be welcome into the kingdom. You'll be welcome at the table, right? He's, he's not just, you know, being, being picky with it. He's broadcasting this, offering it to those he know will never believe it. Calling them to genuinely accept it. I see the kindness and goodness of our God. So the seed is the gospel, the sower is Jesus, and the different soils are the hearts of people who hear the gospel. It's us, right? In some way, we, we represent one of these soils in some way. Not all soil is good for planting. You've known that, right? My, there, there are places in my yard, as I've said, that grass just refuses to grow. There's places where the seed will never penetrate the ground, where, the, where, where it's going to land, the, the, the soil is so bad it won't support it. In the same way, there are, sometimes there are hearts that just will not receive the gospel. They're not prepared for it. But here's the thing I want you to hear, God. The problem is not with the seed. The problem is not that the the word of God is inadequate or insufficient or outdated or it's not able to save. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right? So the problem is not with the seed. It's with the soil. It's with our hearts. So take comfort, though. Because one good thing we know about soil is it can be improved. Rocks can be removed. Thorns can be cut away. All right? Soil can be tilled and made ready. And so I pray that if you're in a place and you find this morning that your heart is not in a great place to receive the gospel, take heart. God can make your heart ready to receive. So let's talk about these a little bit more. In, in depth and understand what Jesus is talking about. He talks about those seeds that are sown along the path, and he says this is a hard heart that event that really has the gospel removed from it. This person hears the gospel but doesn't understand it, right? But immediately that may make you think, well, they just need to understand and think about it more. Yes, they do, but the reason why the heart's hard is because they don't really want to. A person like this doesn't understand the gospel and doesn't really care to doesn't really want to pursue. Is, their hearing is dull, eyes are blind, hearts cold. You know, maybe they're openly hostile, like, no, that's disgusting to me. That's judgmental. That's bigoted. That's whatever it might be. I don't want to hear that. Or it could just be apathetic, which is just as deadly. And, and, and I can tell you, like, as a pastor, incredibly frustrating to see somebody who hears this great message that's life-changing, and they're just kind of like, eh, Scroll my phone instead. And like just completely doesn't care at all. It's frustrating to see a person hard, having a hard heart. The gospel never, never penetrating through, right? You might as well try to, you know, preach the gospel to a stone. It goes in one ear and out the other. And I, and I see this sometimes and, and, and many of you have seen it as well. And it's heartbreaking, right? Because it doesn't need to be that way. But in this case, the way Jesus describes it, it's that that, that, God, that, that seed never penetrates. There's not even like a pretense to, to believe. And it says that Satan comes and takes it away. The evil one comes and takes it away. What, what does that mean? I don't know. Probably that, that, that Satan himself or, or, or demons come and actually like cause us to forget, right? Or to move on. Honestly, probably just be distracted. So we don't ever think about it again, right? Ignore that. That's not important. Here, come, come. Let's 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 spend some time looking at your idols instead. These 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 things that give you comfort, that distract you, and that's what happens. We get easily distracted and forget we ever heard it. If this is your heart, just know that you're easy prey for the enemy. And actually, Jesus doesn't spend much time on this kind of person, and, and so, so we're not either, right? Not, there's not much use reasoning with someone who will not even listen. And I hope that if you're in this place today. 
really think about, like, is your heart so hard that you're unwilling to listen to the Lord? I pray that you're not. But he goes on and talks about the rocky ground, verses 20 and 21. This is the person who hears the word. They're in a little bit better position because they, they hear it, um, but they ultimately fear the world and will fall away. They're in a better position than the first kind of seed, but not really good enough. See, this person hears the gospel, and immediately they respond with joy, right? They hear it, and they're th- maybe they've never heard it before, right? What? Just that simple message. There's a God, and, and he loves me? Really? Like, and just, just the thought of it is so exciting and fresh and new, and I can tell you, like, I love that. I love seeing that when someone who, who has never imagined that, there's a good God who has a good plan, who loves us, right, like, and has provided for us freely of his grace to come and, and to know him, right, and have eternal life with him, like, no matter what they've done, right, they can be fine forgiveness, and there's people who hear that, and it's so exciting to see them, to make that profession, and they, and they, they, they have this, they make some sort of profession of faith, right? And they're, they're excited about it. They're, they're looking for answers. They're looking for meaning, right? They're looking for something. And quickly, they accept it. Now, of course, Jesus calls us, whenever we do that, he calls us to count the cost. Because it does cost us. He desires for us to understand that those who stand with Christ, who, who are part of his kingdom, are going to find hardship in this world. Because the world will tolerate some parts of, of Christianity, but it will never tolerate others. To stand with Christ and therefore invites hardship and persecution. And, and some of us may face strong persecution. Some of us, it will be very, very light. Eventually, every Christian will have their faith tested, right? And your Christianity, Christianity may cause you discomfort or hardship. And, and the question is, is, will you endure even even little bits, right? And, so, and some people who have this kind of heart can't even endure just simply being mocked or made fun of. Can't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't like being left out or, or, or being called names or like, really? That's what you believe? And just that is enough to stir this person from faith, away from it. Some professed believers would rather leave Christ than feel left out in the world. So underneath this exterior, this, this initial excitement, this initial appearance of a, of a soft surface lies a stony, unbelieving heart. And, and trouble doesn't necessarily cause this person to fall away and this, as much as it reveals that they never had faith in the first place. Faith that could, it reveals that stony, unbelieving heart. Because the sun gives life to some plants and it withers other. Right? It withers others. And persecution does different things. Persecution and trouble actually tends to settle and shape and strengthen believers. It, it grant, God in His grace grants them courage. And, and believers who have gone through like hard stuff in life and have gone through it in faith are much stronger on the other end. And God uses that to strengthen His saints. But for those who are false professors, right, who only have like a, a passing interest or a surface level belief, persecution, hardship, they immediately begin questioning God and rejecting God, and it reveals a faith that really has no root. So God, I think, actually sends hardship and persecution to his church for this very reason. It weeds out false professors and strengthens true believers. It reveals the soil of your heart. Some of you may be in the midst of trouble right now. You're facing hard decisions or hard times, or you very will shortly. And part of the challenge of this is, what will that do to your faith? Will it cause you to dive deeper and say, God, this is hard, I don't like it, but I trust you, I trust my king. Or you say, that's it, God, I thought you had my back, I'm going to bail. What will persecution or hardship or trouble reveal about your heart? The third soil he talks about is the, the, the soil that's where it's the seed is sown among thorns. This is the person who hears the gospel and receives it initially in some form, but also falls away. This person doesn't have a hard heart or a shallow heart. This person has a crowded heart. The seed of the gospel comes to such a person whose heart space is already full. There's there's no vacancy, really, because they already are committed to loving the world. I think of Demas 
as, as, as one of those who's sown among thorns, right? He was a contemporary of Paul. He's, he was somebody who would go on the Apostle Paul on church planting missions, right? He's mentioned only a few times in Scripture. One time he's spoken of as someone who was traveling with Paul, planting churches, doing ministry. Imagine that, right? Like walking alongside Paul. And then in the last letter, right, that Paul writes, 2 Timothy, at the very end of it, right, he, he, he is, he's lamenting. Paul laments in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, who's in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Why did Demas leave Paul, leave the mission field, leave the gospel? Because he loved this present world. He's a good example of those who are sown among thorns. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, is another example. Someone who makes a kind of profession of faith, but loves the world too much. Such a person really never grows in Christ. Honestly, and maybe they had that initial interest or excitement or maybe they were raised in the church and kind of like just kind of absorbed the like Christian culture and all that kind of stuff. But really, they're far more interested in the newest thing. Their hobbies, their job, their possessions, their money, really anything else. They stick around sometimes for a long time and inhabit churches, but the see the gospel doesn't inhabit them. It never produces in their hearts. I, met, I knew a young man a few years ago who came under strong conviction, was raised in the, in the Lord and a Christian family. He'd grown up in the church, but he'd become really kind of like hard to the gospel. And by God's grace, I was able to meet with him over a couple like meetings and like hash things out and just like address his concerns and like just lay the scriptures before him. And, and I swear, I, I felt like a light turn on, like, oh. And I felt, and I saw some of that hardness and that like, er, that... That, 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 that grit, that, that jaw just kind of like drop and, 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 and like a brokenness and a sweetness and like a light came on. I was so excited for him, right? That I was able to correct some of his misconceptions about scripture. He seemed changed, right? And, and I loved, we, we met regularly to study the scriptures, to pray, to talk about life in Christ. And he was eager to talk and I'd give him assignments and he'd read and we'd come and we'd talk and he grew in knowledge of God for a while. And then eventually, I don't know, maybe the novelty of it worn off. And he, stopped, he started missing meetings and didn't really seem interested anymore. Stopped reaching out. And, 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 and then life kind of became what it was before, after a very short amount of time. Music and girls and money and clothes kind of just choked out the gospel seed. Some of you may have this heart and not even know it. Maybe you have, do you, do you have like a, a, a middling belief in God, if I'll call it that, like where, where you have a, a belief, a professed belief, but does, does God really have like a hold on your life or, or are you largely bored with God and kind of like tolerate him? Is coming to church like a chore or a joy? Do you seek him? Like, do you love him? Do you delight in his word? Do you desire his company? Do you fear to offend him? Do you really know him? Is that you? Are you bearing fruit? Examine your heart. Does the, has the seed really germinated, the seed of the gospel, taken root in your life and produced fruit? It was just kind of sitting there on the top being choked out by everything else in the world. Finally, there's the good soil. Verse 23, where this is the person who hears, understands, and bears fruit, right? This person hears, they understand by God's grace, and that really seems to be the difference. They get it. They truly understand it. This is the only person that hears and understands it. They don't ignore it. They don't accept it without examining it. Instead, they hear, they understand, they believe. The gospel takes root in their heart, and it bears fruit in their life. It actually does something within them. Such a person is a whole new creation. God works in their life. They begin to live differently. And it's not because they said, oh, all right, time to Christianize, time to get all churchified, time to turn my life around and live morally. It's not because of that, because they just put like the extra effort in. It's not because of them. It's because the gospel seed took root in their heart, and it's the thing that produces in their life. The seed of the gospel gives new life. It produces love. It produces joy. It produces peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It produces a zeal for God where there used to be hostility and hardness. It produces a hatred of sin that we used to love and enjoy. It produces compassion for the lost, generosity, humility. And it does it slowly often over time. 
You ever watched a tree grow? I haven't. They always look the same. I mean, I mean, if you actually like put a lawn chair out and watched, you're in for a slow treat, okay? But every now and then I used to go back home to my house and uh, an old Lutheran pastor, I believe when I was a kid, gave us a pine tree. And it was tiny when we first got it. We planted it in the backyard of my house. I remember because I shot the top of it off with a BB gun at one point, so it was smaller than it ought to have been. But I would go, when I, we had, it grew up as a kid, it started off this high, and I used to jump over it, right, like as a kid. And I'm sure my parents loved that, right? Um, but I used to jump over it, and it was, it was very small. And I grew up, and when I left to col- high school, it was, you know, however big it was. And then I'd come home for college every few months, and I'd see, like, man, that's big. And it got too big. We finally cut it down because it was just an eyesore. But like, if I was would have sat there and watched it, I would have never seen it grow. But over the course of time, that tree grew. And honestly, that's kind of like what it is for us. Sometimes we think like, man, I accepted Christ, and like, why am I still angry? Why do I not feel the joy? Like, it is a slow, lifelong growth. And we can take some hope in that. But there is growth, and it's gospel growth. It's not reforming, you know, yourself. It's not a make-yourself-better plan. It's not ten steps to self-improvement. It's gospel growth. It's the grace of God, the result of salvation. You're transformed. You grow in love for God and become like Christ and do God's will on the earth. And this is one thing that's really cool. Christ, you know, and, and, the, and the idea of the sower sows seed knowing he's wasting some of it. Knowing some of it's going to be eaten by birds, some of it's going to be choked by thorns, some of it's going to go on rocky soil and not grow, but some of it's going to bear fruit. And you know what? Jesus delights. He doesn't feel like he's wasting the seed by, by, by preaching it, by giving it to people, knowing that many will not believe it. Because you know what? The person who does believe it bears fruit to the glory of God. I love that. He says, some a hundredfold or 60 or 30. Guys, it nothing is wasted when God's seed takes root in your heart and you give glory to God with your life because he's the one who gets glory. It's not, look at this person who turned their life around. It's look at God who changed your life. God is glorified by it. So what are our conclusions from this parable? What what should we take away from this parable? First of all, I want to make a few quick observations about the three seeds, the three soils at the very beginning. All three of them heard the word. They weren't ignorant. These are people who heard the word of God, that it was put before them. The third thing, the second thing I want to say is that not, there's not really any order of like, well, the first is the worst and the third is actually pretty good. They're all bad. Because none of them produce fruit. The first soil, you know, and the second and the third, they all fail to fully embrace the gospel. All three fail to produce grain. In the, in the end, all three are just different kinds of unbelief. And that's really, that's really the sad thing and the hard thing, right? It's, it's not as though it's like, you know, you, you believe in God and then there's, you know, only one way to disbelieve. There are actually many ways to miss the kingdom. There are many ways to go to hell, and there's one way to go to heaven. There's one way to know God. It's through Christ. Some people, there's another thing is, is some people appear to be believers, the second and third soil, but they're really not. And either the love of this world or the, the fear of this world is going to reveal that. They have a kind of faith, a kind of zeal, but as Romans 10 says, it's not according to knowledge. Maybe it's just a feeling, but it's not really... True faith. It's not a saving faith. But the fourth one is. And so the call of this, and I, I hope you walk away with this, the call of this parable, what Jesus is trying to teach you and me, and anyone who hears this, is that we should examine our life and ask, ask a good question, right? Are you a believer in Christ? Have you accepted this seed? What is the soil of your heart like? And really, and really ask that, especially if, 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 if you're sitting in this church, right? We're not out in a street corner. We're not somewhere else. We're sitting in a church, right? So really maybe the third, the second or third soil is what you need to be concerned about, right? Ask yourself this question. Not are you a Christian, but why do you think you're a Christian? Is it because you're here? Is it because you're baptized? Is it because you went to youth camp one time? Is it because you went on a mission trip? Is it because you have a Christian family? Why? Why do you think you're a Christian? Here's some other questions. Is there any evidence that Jesus is really king over your life? 
Would those closest to you ever suspect that you were truly a believer in Jesus? Or if they heard that, if, they, if you told them, like, yeah, I'm a believer in Christ, they'd be like, really? Do you desire to know Christ more and more? And the things of your old life less and less? Do you see God's commands as wise and good, or do you see them as, like, burdensome? Like, ah, oh, all that is doing is taking away the things I like. Do you experience conviction over sin? Or is it just kind of like, nope, I feel, I feel fine as I am. Do you ever feel like guilt or shame or like over the things you've done? I got to warn you, if you're a Christian, one of the, one of the things you're going to face is a lot of conviction over sin. But as you grow in Christ, you actually are thankful for it. God, thank you for pointing out the foolishness of my life and for granting me the grace to find forgiveness. Do you enjoy Christian fellowship? Or, would, or, or, or like the people you'd rather spend time with those who don't know the Lord. Some of this is just, it may just be explained, but I don't want to totally discourage you. Some of this is just maturity as you grow in Christ. Um, but in the long term, is your life any different because of Christ? You may be in church, you may be in Christian fellowship, but that is not the same as you being in Christ and he being in you. Truth, faith is born out and then it bears fruit. The only way to know if someone is born again is if they, if they have new life. Has the seed of the gospel borne fruit in your life? A changed heart will prove this out. Nearly anyone can produce enthusiasm, and nearly anyone can be virtuous and participate for a while, but only God can produce godliness in a person's heart and life. What is the soil of your heart this morning? Let me pray. Lord, I, I, I thank you that your gospel is powerful. Lord, that... That the gospel is the good news that can change lives. I thank you, God, that it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, no matter where they're at right now, but Lord, no matter what they've done, God, no matter how uh, terrible and egregious and deep-seated their sin is, Lord, your grace is greater. Your gospel is powerful. So I pray there's anyone here who has never believed, who was on the edge of belief, God, would you call them into your kingdom? Remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And I pray for those who are here, Lord, who, who are bearing fruit, Lord, let them give glory to you. Let them be encouraged. Let them be stirred, Lord, to, to continue seeking you, to continue letting that gospel growth happen in their lives and bear fruit outward into the world and the lives of others. God, we give you praise and, and glory and honor this morning. Thank you for what you've done for us in Christ, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.